You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. So we're in a new season um, where we're crafting messages uh, from our questions that we ourselves are have been asking. And I think it's been really... generative and fun so far, even just to read these questions and ponder them. Um, And if you have a new one in this meeting, feel free to drop it in the sharing box because we're going to do this all the way through September. Um, Last week, we talked about can other religions be as good or better for other people as Christianity is for us? Um... And if, if you missed that one, you can listen online. It was We had great dialogue and talk back after, too. Um, but tonight we're going to explore how do you reapproach the Bible after a fundamentalist upbringing? Did you ask that one, Ellen? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm going to take not a, not all of us had a fundamentalist upbringing so I'm going to try to take a, kind of a broad a, like reapproach to the Bible no matter what kind of upbringing you had but I am sympathetic to this questioner because I had a pretty fundamentalist upbringing in church and by fundamentalist I think we're talking about like literal interpretations of the Bible and like strict adherence to um, principled beliefs. And yes, like, like something like that. Um, rule based, uh, faith. And I think that it's, I'm also sympathetic to this questioner because I think it's really hard to live this way. Having tried that, um, it's just kind of, a recipe for condemnation and judgment um, in some ways because everybody kind of fails at being fundamentalist because it's just really nearly impossible to live, you know, adhering to only your principles and beliefs. But I get the desire for that because we live in such an uncertain, chaotic world that it really... Um, I, I understand the, the need for like some boundaries and clarity and, um, certitude. And I think it's tempting to think that life would be a lot easier if we could kind of put people and ideas, um, and experiences into categories and kind of seal them up really nicely. I, I get the sense of safety in that. So... I think this is a good question, but I do think that this questioner is trying to do something new. They're trying to recover um, from that way of thinking about faith and the Bible and God. Um, And I think that's good because fundamentalism in any form, I think, only provides this false sense of safety because human beings don't work that way. We don't. We don't, um, we're not easily boxed in to a set of rules or principles or ideals. 
no matter how hard we might try. You know, like the most avid environmentalist can't really escape, you know, all the chemical processes that hurt the environment, even if they try to be a hermit. So um, it's just really hard to be a fundamentalist. And the Bible, if you want to be um, a fundamentalist about the Bible and just use it as a rule book, I think that's pretty nearly impossible too because um, you'd have to pick and choose because the Bible is is so diverse and ambiguous and ancient. Um, it, it says so many different things at the same time, um, sometimes even contradictory things. For example, you know, it's been used to justify both slavery and abolition. The subordination of women to men and the Bible makes a great case for fully emancipating women. Um, you can make a great argument from the Bible about smiting our enemies and all kinds of violence. And you can also make a great argument about turning the other cheek. Again, you can talk about gaining the wisdom of gaining political power and denouncing it all in the same book. What is the Bible actually saying? And, and I could go on from this list, like child rearing. If, I, if we took child rearing advice just from, just literally from the Bible, you'd probably end up in jail, you know? And if you look at Old Testament laws, they, they change even uh, from book to book as people reassess what God is asking them to do in their time and their culture the same laws change. And so um, I think it would be really hard to, to just read the Bible as a rule book. It would, it's kind of a confusing mess if we just look at it that way. So what is the Bible actually saying? What is its purpose and how does it work? I think this is what the questioner is asking. And I think we have to conclude that the Bible isn't just a rule book. And, and this is great news for everybody, um, especially people trying to recover from a fundamentalist background. I think we can just go ahead and admit that the Bible never belonged to that way of thinking. It's not its purpose, so we might as well just reclaim it. God is clearly not a helicopter parent or the Bible would be much more clear about what we should do all the time. You know, like even as we leave this meeting, where should we go, you know? But God is not doing that. The Bible seems to be much more about leading us to wisdom. Leading us to wisdom through the experiences of people relating to God over a period of over 1,300 years. I think the Bible is leading us to wisdom through the experiences of people relating to God and God relating their accounts of God relating to them. And so I think the Bible holds out this great invitation for us to join this ancient quest to know God and, and God's presence with us now in our particular time and place. If we're going to keep doing what the Bible writers were doing, which I think is probably a good idea. 
we're going to keep trying to know God in our context, in our time and place. And I think we can learn a lot from the Bible writers. So I think it's worth a lifetime of study. And that's one of our proverbs as a circle of hope. We can learn a lot from the Bible writers and from the Holy Spirit as we consider the past together. And I think that exploration of the Bible is an important part of discerning how God is calling us to embody his presence right now in our lives in Philadelphia as a circle of hope. But it probably isn't, the Bible, I think, isn't great news for people who just want easy answers. And I I don't think we're those people. I think we know that wisdom is about this lifelong process of being matured, of becoming mature disciples of God, generous lovers who nurture and create and build on the good work of creation. And this takes discernment, right, and growing up in faith. You know, just like helicopter parents don't really help their kids grow up, even though it's so tempting to be a helicopter parent, you know, over-monitoring everything your kids do. I think God wants us to live securely in an environment where we have the opportunity to actually grow up and partner with God, not just stay little kids. And I, I see the Bible describing that choice, you know, from the first moments in the garden where I think that tree has so much to do with um, symbolizing the presence of God all the way to Jesus, who Paul describes as the wisdom of God, the very wisdom of God. And then Jesus speaks in parables that require us to know wisdom, to even understand what he's saying. So wisdom, I think, I think the purpose of the Bible is really connected to gaining wisdom. And I think this is the unscripted pilgrimage of faith. Rulebook answers deliver certitude and finality, but wisdom embraces mystery. Rulebook answers are distant and passive, but wisdom is intimate, and it's learned through experience. Just think about your own life what you've learned so far. Rule book answers are immediate, but wisdom takes trial and error over time. Rule book answers provide comfort and stability, but wisdom asks us to risk letting go of what is familiar for God's surprises. Rule book answers are de- designed to, to end the journey, but wisdom shapes us so that we can journey with courage and peace over the long haul. Rulebook answers are limited to specific moments, but wisdom works in all times and places. Rulebook answers keep us small, but wisdom gives us the space that we need to grow. And I think we all need that space to grow. I know I do. Speaking of, I was just on vacation uh, with my family this past week, and I had a real needing wisdom moment. Um, We took our kids backpacking in the Adirondacks, and they are these beautiful mountains in New York. 
And um, every time we backpack, I wonder why are we doing this? Why don't we just take a cruise like normal people on vacation? Because um, you're carrying, we're carrying heavy loads, you know, up pretty difficult terrain, right, Core? Um, rocky and muddy and getting rained on and it was cold and, um, you know, you got to hang all your food, anything that smells even close to edible, like toothpaste, you got to filter your water. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. And so every time I, we do it, I wonder why, why are we putting ourselves through this? But I think I do it because it's so ground, it grounds my soul to be just in creation like that, enveloped by the company of creation. And the time together without internet or cell phones um, is priceless. It's a great opportunity to get to know each other all over again. And funny things always happen, like the kids found a slug in my hair that I don't know how long it had been there as Corey was rebraiding it. And I accidentally jammed my pocket knife into my thumb one day um, trying to open a stick of pepperoni, which we all just, you know, decided later that if you're, if you're going to like get injured, that's the best reason to do it for a stick of pepperoni. The whole experience causes you to tap into a strength, though, that you didn't know that you had and to not give up because once you, once you like commit to doing a loop, you have to get back. You, you get miles out there and then you, it's not like you can call for rescue. You have to just, you're committed. You have to get back. And so you got to make sure you're, you don't do stupid things to get too injured because it would be like days till you could get to a hospital. And um, you have no options but to rely on each other and God. And I don't know many ways in our privileged American experience to, like, to get that kind of experience because we're so used to just getting a new thing if, if something breaks or getting some chips at 7-Eleven if we're hungry or whatever. In our life at home, we can always opt out of commitments but it's not like that in the woods. You have to make it work and look out for each other. So anyway, we wanted to climb. We really went there because we wanted to climb, um, or part of why we went there was we wanted to climb this mountain. The highest point in the Adirondacks is Mount Marcy. And this is the view from Mount Marcy. You can see it. You can see all the way into Canada from the top. But this is kind of embarrassing we were laughing and joking on the climb up, and we took a wrong turn, and we climbed the wrong mountain. <laughs> Dead serious. And when we got to the top and saw that we were looking at Mount Marcy instead of on top of it, Zach and I were just like, my son Zach and I are wired kind of similarly, and we were just like looking at it like it was we were Captain Ahab and it was the white whale and we were just going to go get it anyway. And so we started bushwhacking through the spruce. 
we were on a mission until Jeff, my husband, the voice of wisdom in this story, told us to stop and get back on the trail and go back down the mountain like normal people. And the whole time on the descent, I was thinking about how he was going to say that we couldn't climb the other mountain because we were out of time and, you know, food and energy. And so I was... I was building up my argument about how we were right here and how could we not climb this mountain if we're looking at it. Sure enough, when we got down to uh, the base part is right at the headwaters of the Hudson River, we made a decision and he wouldn't budge about how we didn't have enough time or food or energy um, and it, mu- it wasn't smart, and we wouldn't reach, reach our next destination if we pushed it. And I suggested that maybe I should just do Marcy with Zach if he wanted or whatever, and ev- everybody else could just chill. But he said, no, we're staying together no matter what. And I saw his point, and I let it go, and we did not climb Mount Marcy. And I know this sounds like a very anticlimactic story, but I think it was a victory of wisdom for our family. Wisdom to be kind and compassionate to each other instead of pushing for an arbitrary goal. It was a victory for contentment and presence and love over everything else. And I keep learning that that's what God is like. So in this little moment, I had to reimagine the purpose of our trip. It wasn't really to climb Mount Marcy. It was to enjoy my family alive, enjoying creation together. And I had to remember my, my deeper purpose and goals and how they could be expressed right now in this moment. And I think, I think that this is what the Bible writers are doing all the way through. They are reimagining what God is like. They're asking the big questions and reimagining for their moment in time. What is God like? Who who am I? Who are we? And and what are we called to do? And then they're writing they're writing down their stories. So I think this is a good way to reapproach the Bible from wherever we're coming from. The Bible started to be written down. The first like written accounts that we have of the Bible came out of this moment, this really difficult, painful moment in, in Hebrew history um, during the Babylonian exile when, um, and it's, I think it's hard for us modern people to imagine how painful this was for, for the Hebrew people, but they were driven um, from their home and separated from children. And they were in this time of feeling abandoned by God. You know, they had gotten all these promises through Abraham of what, how they were chosen and God was going to make a great nation out of them. And they find themselves in this moment of like, who are we and where is God now? And that's, that's when they started to write down the history of the past starting with creation. Actually, that account came a little later. But they started to write things down in this moment of grief 
um, where they needed to remember how they had experienced God. They needed to remember that they had, in fact, been loved and chosen and that they were called to rely on God even in these moments of confusion and pain when they couldn't understand what was happening. And so the Bible was born out of a little uh, crisis moment like that, a need to reimagine God for their present and the future. So one of my favorite stories that I think gets to these questions is um, the story of Jonah. And it's often told as this children's story, as you know, but I think it's really for us grown-ups. Jonah was this prophet who wanted nothing to do with his God-given assignment to go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people to repent. And the reason that um, you can imagine why this was so hard, because the city of Nineveh was uh, was like the en- like not just enemies, but like the worst enemies. Um, it was an Assyrian city, and the Assyrian people were huge compared to the tiny little Hebrews, and they surrounded them, and and they were barbaric and relentless. As an army, they were known to, like, impale and skin people. And so the fact that God was trying to have mercy on these people, I think, just says a lot about what God is like. And Jonah, in this moment, wants nothing to do with delivering the message of the mercy of God. And as you probably know, he ends up in the belly of a big fish, which whoa, which helps him to cooperate with God on this assignment. And it does remind me of the new Spider-Man movie where um, Spider-Man doesn't want his assignment either. He just wants to be a high school kid and get a girlfriend and have a class trip. But he's called into this bigger mission Anyway, Jonah begrudgingly goes to Nineveh with an attitude, and he delivers the shortest and most negative sales pitch ever. He just says, 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then I can imagine him stomping away. But despite his efforts to subvert God's will, his worst fears were realized The king and all the people repented of their wicked ways, and God saved them. God didn't bring calamity on them. And so I think it says a lot about who God is and Jonah's purpose in expressing that mercy. And I think whoever wrote down, whoever recorded that story, was in this process of reimagining God, the surprising ways of God in their own time and place. So moving right through the Bible broadly, a lot of time passes between Jesus, um, between Jonah and Jesus, and that was hard for people. But by the time we get to Jesus, man, People are called to reimagine God in in a whole new way. 
I mean, the fact that that Jesus came so humbly and died such a shameful death was not what people were expecting. And so that took a lot of reimagining, and, and many Jews never got there. But the earliest leaders of the movement, the whole, the whole rest of the New Testament then after the Gospels is about the leaders of the movement not just reimagining, reimagining um, who God is now, but trying to communicate to people how in, you know, through, I think they were pouring over their version of the Bible at the time, trying to communicate how this is how God, this is how God has worked in the, this is why Jesus makes sense, because this is how God has worked in the past. And this is why God is here with us now in the person of Jesus. And this is why you should repent and um, spread the good news. The Apostle Paul worked so hard at this, I think, though he probably didn't feel very successful in his time. My whole point of this whole speech is that I think that God calls us to reimagine, like just like the Bible writers, to reimagine God's presence with us now in our context. In 2019, in Philadelphia, in, Philadelphia, in your particular life, the Bible invites us to reimagine what that looks like, to adapt as the Bible writers kept on doing and to tell our story. And I was, as I was thinking about our, our time and place and um, us as a circle of hope, I was thinking that that might look like the challenge of trying to be a we in a vi- as a people, as a church, in a very I generation it's a tough thing because um, we're not we're not just going for like Sunday meetings, right? We're going for a whole life together, a community that relies on each other all throughout the week. That's that's a high that's a high bar in a very individualistic time. It might look like bringing peace and hope and connection through cells in a pretty violent and lonely time. I think you might want to think of your cell as an outpost for the power and presence of God in whatever neighborhood you guys meet in because that's exactly what it is. So whatever life throws at at us, we could take a cue from the Bible writers and ask ourselves these questions again. Who is God? What is God like? Um, Who am I? Who are we together, and what are we called to do? I think what I see in the Bible is that the traditions need to adapt over time, or they don't make sense anymore. And it it doesn't just come out of need. It comes with this promise that God will provide for our partnership, even when we're resistant, like Jonah God will provide for us and lead us forward into the future if we are even a smidge committed to relying on his presence and trusting him in the here and now. And if we're, if we're learning from the Bible, I think we're, we learn that the, the, whatever we did in the past isn't enough. 
we ha- I think this is what Jesus was talking about with the new wineskins. The, the, the old way couldn't fit in the new container. As the wine fermented, it would burst out. And that, that's, the, that's the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit in us. The gospel is just so pr- profoundly creative. It can't be contained in the old ways. And so we are called to embrace our sacred responsibility. We are called to embrace the sacred responsibility of figuring out our calling, our um, our path of wisdom, wrestling with it, figuring it out with God and each other together right now. So let, let's, let me pray for us to do that. Jesus, thank you for um, opening up this new way that um, is open to everyone. Um, but I think actually hard to get into unless we're willing to actually relate to you and um, be in the moment and keep asking questions. So I pray that you would help us to do that and um, show us the way forward. Each of us in our particular situations, whatever it is um, that we're struggling with, whatever um, calling or gifts that we feel, make a way for us within this body and even beyond this body to express them in the world, to bring your kingdom here now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.